Hey, have a seat, everybody. He's wearing the champion logo. He's got, how many are glad to see that champion product come back again? Old school stuff. And then Dino didn't say, of course, we now are both a part of ARC, but we both left Louisiana. That was the best thing. Anyway, so um, just an honor to be with you guys. And uh, I was thinking about this runway while Judd was walking up. Is it a runway or a walkway? And you know, you gotta have a good butt to walk out on that thing. And I'm not saying Judd has a good butt, and I'm not saying I was watching it. I'm just telling you, you got to have a butt. So I'm not walking out on that. <laughs> and um, thank you for coming to ARC, and we're going to have a great time tonight. There's just so many people, of course, uh, again, the, the Will Heights, and thank them for all that they have done for us this week. And, of course, the incredible Dream Teamers here at, Christian, at Central Christian Church. And, uh, and, of course, so many others that have made this uh, week and these two days possible. And uh, I'm excited about speaking with you. There seems to be a theme that is coming through as we've been listening to the various speakers. And there seems to be an emphasis on relationship. There seems to be something that God is trying to bring home to us. And I, I want to talk about not being a lonely leader. Because... I think you've already begun to pick up on what ARC is all about, and, and that is we're not going to let you go lonely. We're, we don't believe in doing ministry alone. That's something that we talk a lot about, but it's also something that we live. The uh, group of guys considered to be the lead team, we, we, we do life for real with each other. We, we, we give each other phone numbers uh, of people that they can call and there are phone numbers that our people have in, the, in Dino's number or Chris's number. I have people that have their numbers. If I start acting like a fool and walking out on a runway with my butt showing, they're going to call somebody. That's, in fact, that's what we talk about. We talk about making sure that we are 360 in our relationships and that there are, there are no pockets or corners. Now, you can hide if you want, and you can have a perceived accountability in your life that you can you can paint the picture that you have accountability but I will also tell you uh, that if you're going to see what God wants to see come to pass in your life it won't happen except by your connections by your relationships the song that we're singing I thought that these walls would have fallen down by now and I was just thinking about the walls in the book of Joshua and the Bible tells us they didn't fall until everybody was walking together in the same direction and they had been walking for seven days in other words they were learning how to mesh and merge together where it wasn't about them it, in fact it wasn't even going to be about Joshua and when you look at the book of Acts and you think about the church the Bible says they were 10 days in an upper room and for 10 days being locked up in an upper room for 10 days how many know you're gonna figure out that you don't like everybody in that 120 but you know what? I think God in that number 10, of course, is the test. He was purging. He was, he was exposing. He was, he was making sure that the church would be on the foundation of fellowship. You cannot start your church on the foundation of entertainment. You cannot start your church on the foundation of you working the crowd and, and being a great communicator. That's all great. But let me just tell you something. You want it to be on the foundation of impartation, not entertainment. You, you, you don't want to be Samson at the end of his life. Because at the end of his life, listen, instead of changing the world for God, instead of being what God had called him to be, the Bible says that they were using, the enemy was using his life, Samson's life, as entertainment. They were mocking him. And so I want to talk about the importance of, of not being a lonely leader. Now for us, it's been a crazy three weeks so as the Hurricane Harvey is beginning to move, and of course we're 200 plus miles away from Houston and, and uh, we're gonna be okay, but around that time as the hurricane is coming ashore, my wife begins to get some pain in her, in her back. And so the Monday night, this, uh, the week of the hurricane, she's a little sore, takes a little ibuprofen, and uh, she, she powers through it. The next day we go to the office, we're working. And uh, Tuesday night, she says, you know, I'm still sore. And then fever kicks back in at night. And then about 2 o'clock in the morning, that Wednesday morning, she's punching me. And she is saying, I've got to go to the hospital. And uh, we make our way to the hospital. And there, 
we begin to discover as uh, they take a picture, they find that Lori has a, uh, a stone in her kidney. And uh, so then they call the urologist and then they do the blood work and then they get the blood work back. And now Lori has a white blood cell count of 35,000, which you're supposed to be in the five to 8,000 range. And now it's about 5.30 and uh, the doctor comes, he takes Lori in the back. There's nothing that seems to be of, a, of a, an emergency type situation. About an hour and a half later, the doc walks in to uh, meet with me and here's what he says. He goes, your wife should have died because she went into sepsis or septic shock as they were beginning to do some procedures. Her body was shutting down. Her blood pressure went to 50 over 30. Her lung collapsed. And he said, had she not been healthy or, and says, are you guys a believer in God? I said, yeah, I think we are. And uh, I said, do you want me to be? But I said, absolutely we are. He says, well, something kept her alive. And um, we're not even knowing that her life now is about potentially to, to be lost. And everything that we were finding during this week was kind of like in the rear view mirror. And then, then Harvey comes ashore. And, and so Lori got out of the hospital last week and had the stone removed this past Thursday. And, and so she's getting better. But I said, Lori, we weren't even aware of how to pray. We didn't know sepsis. We, thank God. Listen, thank God you had a great deposit of prayers in your life. And you made a major withdrawal. God had your back. And that's why any opportunity we have to pray, to seek God, can I just tell you, you're storing in your bank account a day when you're going to need the supernatural power of God where you're not going to get the credit. It's just God's pleasure. It's God's favor. It's God's promise on your life. Come on, somebody. How many are thankful for a faithful God? Because a lot of times we think, and that's right, we pray. But our boasting is not in our prayer life. Our boasting is the God who answers prayer. It's the one who has our back. So um, thank you for continuing to pray for her. And um, I, um, I'm excited to just talk to you a little bit. I know that there's a lot of potential church planners here. I, I want you to meditate on Luke chapter 1. It's probably my favorite scripture. You're just, I'm not preaching around that thought. But a lot of you are trying to figure out, am I supposed to plant a church? The best church planting scripture is Luke when he is saying, inasmuch as many have compiled an account of the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, he is saying, I know that Matthew wrote a book. I know that John wrote a book. I know that, uh, that these Marks have wrote a book. I know these guys have compiled an account. They put together a testimony. He goes, but you know what? As I began to meditate, and as I began to consider what God did through me, and I began to investigate my story and how the Lord used me, but... But watch this, Matthew and Mark and, and John, they were standing over there when Jesus performed that miracle. They were smoking a cigarette and I was listening to what Jesus had to say. And that's why you have four gospels. You know why you have four gospels? Because you have four different people with four different experiences, four different lenses, four different contexts. You have a story. You have a story. And what Luke was struggling with was, well, you know what? They've got a good story, and that might be enough. And you know what? God wants your story out. Now, you've got to do your homework. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to punch. You're going to have to make sure it's the will of God. But he does it all just to reach that one man, Theophilus. Now, it was 17 years ago. Lori and I, we left Louisiana. We moved before Ark. Now, we're about six months ahead of Ark, the secret belonged to Chris and it belonged to Rick and they weren't sharing it with nobody. They didn't tell me and Lori. So we get and we arrive in uh, Austin, August the 10th. We start the church October the 1st. Dino started on a Wednesday. I started some 40, 50 days after we arrived. No lead team. I had three boys. They were little. One was nine months old, one was four years old, and one was nine years old. They hated everything we were doing. They hated that we moved from Louisiana. They said this church sucks. They said this for years. I know you don't say that word in your church, but Judd does. And so we had overhead projector. We, had, we didn't have computers. We had an overhead projector. How many remember overhead projectors back in the day? And... Um, we were in a library, a two-room library. One room had adults, one room had children. And Lori and I, I would lead worship. She'd play the keyboard. The kids were by themselves until we got finished with worship. She'd come off. She'd go to the other side. And then I'd preach. I'd bang on the wall when I was ready for an altar call. Then she would leave the kids and then come back. 
And it went like this for about seven years. It was a wonderful church plant. Went from the library to a hotel conference center where they had four rooms or one large ballroom, but every week there were four rooms. That meant there were four different churches meeting at the same time. And so when you walked into the main door of this conference center, you had four options on the religious menu. Well, the goal was to be the first one that Sunday morning to get the first room because you could work the crowd before they got to the second and the third and the fourth. You'd tell them, hey, there's snakes. They're handling snakes down there at the end. They're preaching satanic messages. I mean, you would just come up with all sorts of things. And uh, you just hope that everybody would m finish their, their sermons at the same time before the drums kicked in uh, on the partition next to you. I mean, it was literally like this. And uh, that was a year, year and a half. And uh, then we moved into an industrial plex, 6,000 square feet, 6,600 square feet, one number short of Satan being there. And... Uh, then God began to just show up and he began to do some things and then we moved into a school simultaneously we had another campus and an elementary school which how many know it's not really cool to worship and sit in little baby chairs and so but that went on for about a year as well and um, and then God had provided some property and and so we're we're still doing we're still doing it now yes thank you Look at this scripture with me in the book of John. And I want to talk about these relationships. I want to talk about the importance. And, and, and watch this. The Bible tells us that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He cried out with a loud voice as he comes. You know the story. He comes to the, the graveside of Lazarus. And Jesus with a loud voice, he said, Lazarus. Now, of course, you know, you've heard the preacher. And you've heard him say, had he just said, come forth, the whole cemetery would have come forth. And so he calls out Lazarus, and here comes Lazarus, and the man who had died came forth, and he was, notice, he was bound. Where? He was bound in his hand, he was bound in his feet, and he had around his head or around his face wrappings. So if you will, he was bound in his hands, he was bound in his feet, he was bound in his head. He was bound in his doing, he was bound in his going, and he was bound in his thinking. And so you've got this man whom Jesus comes and calls forth from the dead, and now he's alive he's he's living now watch what happens I'm talking about relationships and the Bible then says Jesus turned to them and he goes now you unbind him and let him go I'm not doing the rest of it I'm not going to deliver him I'm not going to set him free I've raised him from the dead now you have to get into relationship with him because if you don't get into relationship, there are some things that God just will not do apart from you being in relationship. He's not going to do it. He has made you this way. You know what happens to babies when they're not touched, when they are not handled, when they are not in relationship, in contact. It's a hard wiring that begins to take place in their life. We have several families who have adopted children from around the world. And now here they are in, in the age of seven and eight and nine. And, and frankly, it has, it has been devastating to these parents because it has, it has been painful to watch these children who have still yet to bind themselves to this family or to these families. And the reality is there was hard wiring taking place in their life that all the counseling and all the preaching and, and various things that, that they have tried and they've gone to the best of the counselors and the best of the, of the places that can help these children and those that have adopted internationally, there's just no breaking into these minds. And I just want you to see that God has this thing arranged for you and for me that if we're going to be free, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, and if you're going to go where God wants you to go, and if you're going to think the thoughts that God wants you to think, it is not going to be because you are able to resource yourself. You're going to have to be resourced from another source. You're, you're going to have to learn how other people are going to have to come around you and begin to make a difference in your life. This is what ARC is all about. This is why we do what we do. This is, this is our heartbeat. The beautiful thing about ARC is that there's not one person on the lead team that needs ARC to work. 
There are denominations and there are other organizations and networks where if the network doesn't work, that leader doesn't have a job. And so what's beautiful about this is that there's no motivation, there's no motor behind ARC other than relationships and other than relating to you so you can change the world and be what God has called you to be in your local city. I think you want me to walk out on that catwalk, don't you? I think that's... Some of you will clap if I finally walk out there. I ain't doing it. I ain't got no butt. I'm not walking out there. What is the message? First John, the Bible tells... I love this little clause. All it says is, this is the message. It's a little phrase in verse 5. This is the message. What is the message? Ten times, John says, fellowship, fellowship relationship. He goes over and over. That's the message. And if you want to be in the ministry, you've got to get the message of the ministry. And there is no life by yourself. God has this thing arranged where, where there's two or more. There he will show up. There he begins to get involved. There he begins to do his work. And we're going to break down some things today because I will tell you in my own life, had it not been for Dino Rizzo, had it not been for Dino and Delenn sending on our first Christmas while we were still in the Round Rock Library, not having enough money to go buy our kids' Christmas gifts, we got a $1,000 check from Dino. Now, my kids still didn't get the Christmas gifts, but Lori and I split it, and we enjoyed those $500. That was awesome. Thank you. You never, you didn't call and say, how did you spend the money? This jacket, I'm really still enjoying 17 years later. How many have a lot of your kids' money that your kids never saw? How many, come on, somebody. How many love getting gift cards from the family your kids never have ever seen? I believe in stealing everything from your children. If they give it to you, it is yours. I don't care. The power of a relationship. The power of a personal relationship. I was uh, a sophomore at LSU, 1985. I had just had my second knee surgery after sophomore year. I just returned back from uh, the athletic training office where Doc Broussard said to me, we are not going to allow you to play football this year. You have failed the test. You have failed your physical exam. Your right knee is not capable to perform. And that was the darkest day of my life. It was the darkest moment of my life. My father was an NFL football coach. My father, who was a wonderful, wonderful man and never put pressure on me, but I had always wanted to play. I would have hoped to have played at another level. When they clock you with a calendar, you probably are not going to play in the NFL. But I, I walked back to my dorm room. And as I'm sitting in my dorm room and I'm beginning to think about all the dreams and all the things that I've shared, not just with my friends and coaches and ex-girlfriends and all of the thoughts that I had as to what I was going to do in a, in a way for football. Now I'm sitting in my, in my dorm room wondering where am I going to go now. All I wanted to do was die. All I wanted to do was just crawl into a cave. As I'm sitting at my desk, literally at my desk, which was the only time I sat at my desk at college. You go to football scholarship, that's what you go there for. I lean back, and on an eight-inch piece of white athletic tape, now I'm not going to be able to be a part of this football team. I'm done. I lean back, and I see on a piece of athletic football tape these words, Joe Champion can still be a champ. And it was like the Rocky Bell went off in my mind. My knee didn't get healed. I didn't all of a sudden have a divine impartation. Benny Hinn didn't lay my hand or his hands on my head or Benny Perez. Nobody touched me. I wish they were there. But all I had was this infusion of life through the words of my best friend from high school who was now on the coaching staff at LSU. All of a sudden, I got, I got an impartation of faith, not through 
me or my prayers or through my belief or, or through anything other than Daryl Day took the time because he had heard that I was no longer going to be on the football team and he ran up to my dorm room, got into my dorm room and wrote that note. And it all of a sudden didn't bring healing, but something inside of me said, I'm not going to die here. I'm not over. This thing is going to turn out for good. This is not going to end like this. You're going to have days when you want to die and you want to crawl into a cave and you preach the worst message you have ever heard in your life and you preached it. You're terrible. You, you're going to have terrible days. You're going to walk off like Snowball talks about. I just want to go and I want to watch a violent movie and eat a gallon of ice cream. That is Snowball's. But now he's into psychology, so he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> so anyway, um, he's got a retreat center. <laughs> Whether you're a football player or a planter, you're going to hit these moments. You're going to, even before planting, here you got this boy Ranza trying to plant a church in Houston, and he's six feet underwater. I'd be honest with you. I'd be wondering, God, I don't think you called me to Houston. Like all the 5,000 other churches coming to Austin. I would, lead, I would go to Austin if I was you. All of a sudden, you come into this dark spot, this dark place, and all the dreams and all the vision and all the raising of the money and all the building of the, of the potential and the, the building of the thoughts to people of what it's going to be, the painting of the picture. Now it comes to an end, and I'm at the end, and, and now this life comes to me through a relationship. It was downloaded into my spirit. I want you to see what Paul the Apostle says in the Bible. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, We came into Macedonia, and our flesh we had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. How many have that kind of life? You're going to have it as a church planner. You're, going to, you're just going to have conflicts. That means you're not going to be able to meet when you want to meet in the location you'd like to meet in. You're not going to get the favor of the mayor of that city, or you're not necessarily going to get that location. You're going to have issues. Conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside. But watch this. But God who comforts the depressed. How many are thankful that God comforts our times of depression? But watch what he says. God who comforts the depressed, how does he comfort us? By the coming of Titus. You think you're going to get healed by going to another service. Or you think you're going to get healed by handling yourself. Or by sometimes just worshiping yourself through it. Or praying yourself through it. Or reading the word through it. And you know what? Sometimes God says, you're not going to get out of that state until a Titus can come alongside of you and come into your life close enough so that you realize you're not God and you need people. See, what he showed in the raising of Lazarus, and he wanted to show this to Lazarus, and he wanted to show it to Lazarus' friend. You're not going to get everything that you need to have in your life just with me. You're going to have to have relationships. And you're going to have to fight for those relationships. You're going to have to go through hell and, and some hurricane high water. You're, you're going to have to go through all sorts of things to make sure that you understand that God has this system. And he says, I'm not going to do anything about your depression, Paul, until I send to you Titus. And not only did Titus come and bless us and relieve me of my depression, he says, but he came and he told me about your conversations that you've had about me. He says, also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced. Notice how he starts those verses and those clauses. I'm in a state of depression. I have conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside, and now Paul's rejoicing. Now Paul has a Daryl Day piece of athletic tape that says you're going to be all right. You're going to make it. You're not going to die. And so I'm going to land around one of the best stories that might illustrate this, and I'm going to give you a couple points. I'd rather you walk out of here healed. And I'd rather you walk out of here whole than me trying to move you in some form of emotional excitement and trying to move you into 
some kind of state of frenzy. <sighs> Church planted! Yeah! Because I'm going to tell you, if you come to Austin going, yeah! Woo! They're going to look at you like, you're crazy. Flat butt. I'm, I'm not going to listen to you. Don't work on being a better preacher. Work on being a better person. Work, work on relationship skills. Let me just give you a little thought. Ephesians chapter 5. God gave gifts and he gave men. And he gave who? He gave the apostle. He gave the prophet. He gave the teacher. He gave the evangelist. He gave the pastor. Now watch. He gave gifts and he gave men. And he gave the apostle. It doesn't say he gave apostolizing or evangelism or teaching or pastoring. Now watch this. Please get this. Or prophesying. He gave the prophet, the teacher, the pastor, the pastor, the evangelist. Here's what he's saying. Don't work on your next message Work on your character. Work on who you are because you can go and wow people to a frenzy and get people to love you as a preacher and then they get with you one-on-one -on -one and you have no relationship skills. You have no way to build relationship skills into your staff or into your dream team. So the gift is not what the pastor does. It's who the pastor is. You are the gift. You, you got to see yourself as the gift to those people. You're the gift. And when they meet you, they meet a gift. Do you guys see this? Is this okay? You guys like the Bible. So you got this man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah gets a, an email. He gets a text. He gets an Instagram, Facebook. And here's what it says, Jesse sends him a message. Hey, I just want to let you know, may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow. What you did to the prophets of Baal, just want to let you know, we're leaving your church. You're going down. All of a sudden, these emails, these reports, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? What? Jezebel's coming to kill you tomorrow. The guy just killed 400 prophets of Baal. I mean, he just kicked tail. And now this woman, this one little voice, this voice all of a sudden comes out of nowhere. And we see that he does what? He begins to run. He was afraid and he arose and noticed that he ran for his life and he went to beer. That's what it says. Started drinking beer. which was in Judah, and he left his servants. He took off. Notice, he heard Jezebel say, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. He takes off running, and notice what the Bible says in that verse 3. He left his servant. He went alone. We all have this tendency that when we get into pain, when we get into a problem, when we get into a state of fear and turmoil and overwhelmingness, it's amazing how all of a sudden we just begin to draw back from people. Because we love to go in front of people and look good. We love to show our best side and all of a sudden he ain't got anything to show. So he leaves his servant there and he comes to a cave and the Bible tells us the word of the Lord came to him and he said, hey, um, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he said, well, you want to know? I've been zealous. I've been je I went to that ark church planting grow conference. They fired me up to plant to take the world. Told me I could do it. And he says, "I've been jealous. I went to take what territory belonged to me. That guy told me about it seemed good to put together this testimony called a church. And then he says, I went to the sons of Israel. I, I 
told them how they have forsaken your covenant. In other words, he showed up going, I was going to be the best church in the city finally. I tore down your altars. I killed the prophets with the sword. And now I, watch what he says, and I am now all alone. I am all alone. And they seek my life to take it away. Again, look at verse 14. He said, I have been zealous because the Lord came back a second time. He goes, let me just get this right. What did you say? I have been zealous for your covenant, for your heart, for your will, for your mind, for your kingdom, and I'm all by myself. Now, here's what I want you to see. The Bible tells us Elijah in James chapter 5, verse 17, he had a nature like who? Like us. He had a framework. He had, a, he had issues. You got issues? We all have issues. Just like us. Let me tell you, he's in a state of depression. He wants to die. He wants to come to an end. Now watch. God makes this statement. He says um, in verse 18, he goes, I have 7,000 prophets in Israel. Now, how big is Israel geographically, guys? It's small. I mean, that's a real deep. I'm not asking for any numbers. It's just little. Seven I have 7,000 prophets. 7,000. You would think that Elijah would have known one of those prophets. I think God is saying, you know, Elijah, so let me get this right. You're all alone. Did I hear you say you're all alone? I have 7,000 prophets, and you don't have relationship with not one of them? And in fact, he says, they haven't bowed their knee and they're just as radical as you are. In fact, they're more successful and you're going to tell me you're all by yourself? Elijah, this is your fault. You see, his nature wasn't depressive nature. His nature wasn't introspective. His nature wasn't melancholy. His nature was he was independent, isolated, all alone. And he did not know how to draw close to people. He did not want to get close to people. What keeps leaders all alone? What makes leaders become like Elijah all by themselves? And they begin to think, Ark doesn't care about me. People don't care about me. Pastors don't care about me. And God says to Elijah, no, you ain't playing that game. You have as much of relationships as you want. I'm often asked, Pastor Joe, you don't speak at all the conferences, but you come all the conferences. And... And the comment is what? Well, I wouldn't expect you to come to a conference that you're not speaking to. I don't come to a conference to speak. I come to a conference to be with my brothers and my sisters and to come to be with you. And if you only show up for a conference because you're speaking or you can only sit at a certain table or a certain seat, let me just tell you, Ark's not going to work for you. It's not. It's not going to work. Because nobody's trying to go anywhere. We ain't got nothing to do. <laughs> got no money, unless you want a hurricane to come to your house. Now, I love it what he said. He goes, I got 7,000. And then he says, now, Elijah, look at that little clause, verse 15. I just want you to go and return. Now that you know that there are relationships out there, I want you to go back to your house and let's get some jobs done. Why are leaders all alone? Let me just tell you, number one, write this down. Prideful. Prideful. It's just pride. There's a man by the name of Diotrephes in 3 John. 3 John said, I have written to that church and I have written to that body of believers. And there's a man there by the name of Diotrephes who intercepts everything I say because he loves to be first. And he wants to have preeminence. He wants to be the big dog. And he goes, when I get there, I'm going to kick his butt. Literally, that's what he said. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to jerk his chain. That little prideful, arrogant guy by the name of Diotrephes. You see, pride is the reason why the world is in the state that it's in now. Why do you think Jesus said, learn of me? I am meek and lowly and I'm humble. Learn me. 
Learn me. Learn me. Please, guys, remember, what are the works of the ministry? John chapter 6, verse 28 and 29. They said, Jesus, we want to do the works of the ministry. We want to be in the ministry. We want to be a pastor. We want to be a church planner. We want to do something great for you, God. What is it? You know what God said? To believe on me is the work of the ministry. Not church planning. That word believe means to know, to trust, to be committed to. It's amazing how if you're not committed in relationship, first to Christ, not to a ministry, not to a job. Ministry will kill you. People will kill you. You will be in a cave. You'll be all by yourself. I hope I'm trying to talk some of y'all out. He's like, I came here, I was ready to plant a church until that dude got up there and started talking about it. Can't wait for grow tomorrow. Because we decreased on Wednesday. Okay, on Tuesday. It's pride. Diotrephes, who loves to be first. He was, watch this, a pride person or a proudful person will always be inhospitable. That, that's just the way it goes. Because you know what? You don't need anybody. You don't want to show. You, you don't want to get out of your comfort zone. A prideful person is an arrogant person. And, uh, and pride always is adverse to new relationships. It's always adverse to accepting new people. And, of course, ultimately, authority. You don't like authority. Or you want, think, you want people to think bigger about you. And so when you think about Jesus on the cross, so at the garden and in the garden, watch this, in the garden, life was lost at a tree through the pride and the arrogance of Adam. We have a tree at Calvary. And through the tree, life was lost. But on Calvary, on a tree, life was regained. What pride brought into the world, the cross at Calvary, through humility and brokenness, brings life back into it. It all is about a tree, guys. Pride, number one, is what keeps leaders all alone. Number two, I think a competitive spirit. You know, one of the statements that he said, I'm not better than my father's. You know what he was saying when he was making his declaration of, of, of being upset about what God was doing in his life? He goes, I just did not arrive or I did not achieve according to what I thought I should have been. I'm not better than my father's. And of course, you guys have heard a lot of messages and I hope you understand this comparison game. You are not to compete against anybody else. You compete against yourself. The only competitor that you are supposed to have in your life is yourself. You are to be better than yourself was last year, not the church down the street. Now, Bible says that there is a system of jealousy that God uses. He blesses the Gentiles to provoke Israel. But your goal is not to beat or to be better than anybody else. Because what will happen is you'll fall into the same trap that got Satan kicked out of I will be, I will be, I will be, I will be number one. I'm going to be the best. And it is of the system of Satan himself. When we begin to think that we have to be competitive, I don't think that it's wrong to have a desire to run a race in such a way as to what? As to win. You don't want to just keep the doors open. That's not good enough. Just to pay the bill, that's not good enough. Paul says anybody that runs a race, don't you know all who run, run? Duh. Big deal. But he goes, how about having a nature inside of you that says we're going to do this at a level, but without becoming competitive against other people? Number three, leaders become alone because of insecurity. We're just insecure about who we are. We just don't think that we belong there. We just don't think that we are going to be what we're supposed to be or that we will never see ourselves. And, and at some point in your life, the Bible says, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And please do not allow yourself, your nature, your personality to be derived from what your parents have said, but what the Word of God says. And then you begin to ask God, Lord, who am I according to what you say about me? And then you begin to walk in this way that you can show up in your city without worrying about yourself. Because an insecure person primarily is a person that thinks primarily about themselves. You're full of yourself. And the more insecure you are, the more you've become introspective. We are like grasshoppers in their what? 
in their sight. In their sight. When we showed up and we didn't know a single person, I said, Lord, I want the piece of the pie that I'm supposed to have, and I'll take any other piece of the pie that nobody else is trying to eat off their plate. Now, I'll still do that in your natural life. I will eat with you if you're not eating your food. But I said, Lord, if you're trying to give more territory to other churches and to other pastors, and they're not taking it, I'll take it all. Or I'll take what you want me to have. And I don't want to wrestle with this insecurity issue. I don't want to just go through life. Well, I just hope. No, at some point, you got to step in. Jesus took the word of God, and he stepped up into the pulpit, and he began to preach. He said, the spirit of the Lord is where? It's on me. He's anointed me. And if you stand up in front of your people, insecure, you will have an insecure church. And your people will be insecure about the vision. They'll be insecure about the direction. They'll be so concerned about, are we going to make it? What kind of guy are we going to get today? And so let me say this, number four, apathy or being apathetic. Just not trying. Just not, not reaching out. Well, Joe, that's probably your personality. I think to a degree, I was born with a certain measure of personality that might be more conducive to reach into the hearts of people and to talk to you when you don't want to talk to me. But you know what? Jesus came down to this world. And the Bible says he walked among us. He got involved in the lives of people. And he wasn't waiting on people to come to him. He got into their world. He wasn't apathetic. He wasn't just sitting on his heels. He wasn't just waiting. He came down to walk with people, to get involved in their lives, to just start a conversation. The last two would be being hurt. Leaders stop getting involved because they're hurt, been burned. Pastor Joe, I'm not sure about another network. I'm not sure about this ARC thing. I've been a part of some networks and some denominations and uh, we're watching. Been burned, been hurt. We're kind of watching this thing. Okay, that's fine. But guess what? While you're watching, we're working. Go ahead, keep watching. That's fine. And you will, instead of being salt, you'll be sand trampled underfoot by man. At some point, you gotta get in the game. At some point, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? At some point, you've got to do something and to be what God has called you to be and to get over the hurt and to get over the pain. And if I were to tell you the hurt and the pain that I had, I pastored in Louisiana, I can tell you. We've got some hurt. I'll show you my brand marks on my body. Cigarette burns where my church members put me down on the ground and started burning me with their cigarettes. Not really, but felt like it and then lastly calendar calendar you got to make time for it you got to carve out time to be relationship I close with this Paul the Apostle would you say Romans is probably the most theologically rich book in the Bible especially the New Testament would you agree with me it's it is it is our book of theology how does he wrap up the book of Romans. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the Lord, that you receive her in the manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever need she may have. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ. They risk their necks for me, to whom I not only give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is their first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard. Greet Adriaconus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus or Ebanus, <laughs> butchering these poor people's name. Big S, Statius, whatever his name is. Apelles, greet those who are of the household of Aristolabulus. Herodian, my kinsmen, greet the household of Narcissus. I love the, hey, these are the best ones. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa. They're workers of the Lord. Persis, the beloved. He goes on to say, Rufus, you gotta greet Rufus. The roof, the roof, the roof is on. A choice man in the Lord. Asher Kritikus, Flejon, 
Hermes, who has a store in Vegas. Bunch of other people. Now, what's amazing, as we stand to our feet, I want you to stand. As he comes to his end of this book, what is your theology? What is all of your insight into the scriptures if you don't like people? And you don't know people's names. You don't know what they do for you. You don't give a rip if they do anything for you. Paul not only knew names, Roman names, Greek names. He knew what they did for them. He knew very specific situations. Paul, the apostle, said, you know what theology does to me? It makes me never take for granted the gift of people. And Paul is simply saying, it is not my theology that will make me great. It's these people. It's these people. And the more we read the Bible, the more we should love people. I close with this one last story and we're done. Because you all got a fiesta. Worst day in our church's life in year, year two. I've told the story over the years where a guy and his wife attended our church and they owned the keyboard that we were using. And he showed up and he said, listen, uh, I want to sing today. I said, no, you're not singing today. He goes, well, that's my keyboard, and if you don't let me sing this morning, my wife and my keyboard and my kids are walking out of this building. And I thought about it. I went, gosh, what song do you want to sing? I spent that money that Dino sent me on a new keyboard for another jacket and, um, and a walkway. We actually had a walkway at that time in the hotel, 32 people. And... Um, I said, you know what? Walk. Walk your flat butt on out of here. But I'm just telling you, while he was walking out with the keyboard, I was like. <laughs> Benny, you just want to watch. All right. As he's walking out, and I'm just telling you, he's dying, as Dino would say, a cowboy death. You shoot him, he gets back up, falls over. Shoot him, gets back up, falls into the water tank. He just keeps... How many know some people from church, they just keep dying. They won't leave. Die, sucker, just go. We've already said goodbye. Well, he's just like, you don't want to go in there. He's horrible. He won't let me sing. Seriously, it was horrible. And people are like, golly. Well, a guy by the name of Danny McDaniel and his family, who I did not know at the time, he walks in with his wife and three boys. And he walks in, and as that family's walking out, I'm getting depressed. Here comes this couple by the name of Danny and Diane. Make a fan of the story. They become our best friends. Through Danny and Diane, that one couple, through that Titus exchange, I went from being depressed to rejoice. Danny brought, he and Diane probably brought no less than a thousand people to our church. Not only did they bring people, which is really cool, they gave us a half a million dollar home paid for. Okay? Uh, they, they, they said, this house is yours. We paid the taxes. Here's the deed. It's not as long as y'all and I are friends. It had nothing to do with that. This is your house. The day that I was depressed through bonehead leaving and walking out with that keyboard, God is sending a Titus Now, let me just tell you something. Some of y'all are in need of a house, and I don't preach things to get. I, I'm just, I'm going to just tell you right now. God has a house. He's got a car. He's got a building. He's got finances. He's got property. He's got the people. And the people that you think are leaving and they're going to cause depression, no, 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 no. They're bringing in the destiny of God for your life. But you gotta be willing. You gotta be humble. You gotta be looking. You gotta be open. You can't be prideful. You can't be competitive. Because God will send the Tituses. And we went from that little place, those little places, to now we're on 110 acres. We just built a 3,000 seat auditorium and sanctuary this past January. We've got 17 campuses, not just in America, but around the country, or the world. My favorite one, we just opened up in Naples, Italy. 
we might do something in Donaldsonville, but I'm not really sure about that. Anyway, I want you to bow your heads, please. God who comforts the depressed wants to send a Titus to you. But you're going to have to get out of your hurt. You're going to have to get out of your insecurity. You're going to have to get out of your cave. There are 7,000 prophets, Elijah. I got all the people that you need. I got your whole church. I got all your resources. I got prophets. I got pastors. I got teachers. I got everything that you need. I got every kind of relationship that you need, Elijah. The only reason why none of those prophets are speaking into your life is because, frankly, you think you're the best prophet. You think you know it all. You think you're good. You think you're that sharp. And you just got to drop it. How many would say, as heads are bad, eyes are closed, would say tonight, I, I, I want God to make me more relational. I want to be better at relationships. How many want to be better at relationships? How many would say, okay, you may put your, how many would say, I don't need to be any better than at relationships. And let's look at your wife. When you just sit there and don't raise your hand, how many would agree? We all need to get better at relationships. Can we just extend our hands to heaven even right now? Father, I just thank you. That God, we're not going to live alone. We're not going to go alone. And God, I thank you that you sent the Danny and the Diane McDaniels at that day, at that time, when God, our world was falling apart. And the Lord, even though it was just a cheap old Casio keyboard from Radio Shack that doesn't even exist, that keyboard to me looked like it came from the Taj Mahal in India. And Lord, I thank you that you are the God who knows who to bring and who to surround us with and who to comfort us with. And I thank you that, Lord, you're going to surround your people with favor. You're going to surround your people with love. You're going to surround your people, God, with provision. Lord, I just thank you. You're the God who comforts. You're the God who consoles. You're the God who has relationships. God, send them. God, send them. And Lord, we're looking. Lord, let us be lovers of people. Let us, Father, love everybody as we leave this place today. God, we thank you. You're going to grow our churches. You're going to grow our lives. You're going to grow our families. God, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. Come on, church.